0: Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we work towards the end of our series on the study of gemstones of the faith, we encounter today one of the most precious truths in our faith. It's found to be uncovered in the working of God's mercy. No other truth contains more vulnerability on man's part or more long-suffering and loving-kindness on God's. Thanks for joining us today as we search through the scriptures to find the intermingling of God's justice and his mercy woven together in the cross of Jesus Christ. One of the things that you'll discover when you have more than one child is that there is a cry that often comes when they're together and it sounds like this. That's not fair. That's not fair. So as a parent, you're always going to lose. Now, if you have one kid, that's no problem. But if you have the other one, just be prepared. This is what you're going to hear. You need to make sure that you cut the cake exactly even. Because if one slice is bigger than the other, what are you going to hear? That's not fair. Yeah, and from the back seat of the car, they have to have equal space. You might as well get some duct tape and run it down the middle of the back. Otherwise, you hear what? That's not fair. And if the bedtimes happen to be a little bit off, right, and the one wants to stay up later, because the other one gets to stay up later, once more you hear, that's not fair. It'll wear you out. Uh, My 10-year-old right now in fourth grade is uh, practicing the preamble to the Constitution of the United States. He, He gets 10 extra points if he can memorize it and then recite it in front of his class. And so I likewise am memorizing the Constitution or the preamble of it. Ready? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility. Provide for the common defense. <clears throat> promote the general welfare. And secure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and for our posterity that we do here ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's pretty great, huh? That, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't get 10 points, so. <laughs> Uh, It occurred to me as I was looking at this that as the formers of the most important document in the Western world for governing a people and understanding it's actually built on biblical principles. It was interesting to me that these who framed our Constitution as they're going to consider what is it that we should put at the very front end of making a more perfect union. uh, They say these words establish justice. That's the first thing in the Constitution. Justice. And you and I grew up with it, right? With our pledge, liberty and justice for for all. And this is woven into the fabric of our country. It comes because those who understood, we have each a God-given right before God of equality and liberty and life. And therefore, justice is something that must be given to all mankind, regardless of creed or color or income or position or power. Justice. And uh, yet, I think I find in our world today it's not something that we actually have. I went online last night and just uh, wrote down a couple of headlines to see if we could identify justice in our world. Here was the headline Alaska man uh, given a pass after pleading guilty in a sexual assault case. Where, where's the justice? Can you say that? Where's the justice? Uh, here's one that I have a hard time getting over. Last Sunday, the refs called roughing the passer on Clay Matthews for a. For a <laughs> come on! That's right. Having a hard time getting over that one. Uh, in, in all seriousness, uh, some of these can get actually pretty disturbing. This one says a father and son accused of killing their neighbor over a dispute over a, a, a mattress. Where's the, where's the justice? Uh, infants stabbed at a daycare that allegedly catered to moms uh, seeking citizenship. Uh, this way in another news outlet, daycare employee charged with attempting murder and stabbing three infants. Come on, where's the justice? Uh, it, it would be easy for us to look around, even without trying and identify, you know what it seems like this world is corruptively broken and we, though we claim that establishing justice is what we're all after, it seems to be all too often missing. There was a, there was a man at one point looked around and he said uh, to the one next to him, you know what needs to happen? God needs to come down and he needs to rid the world of all evil. All of the child molesters, the murderers, the idolaters, the pedophiles, those who practice evil, the wicked, the man turned to him and said, well, then who? After that, who should God get rid of next? He said, well, after that, it's the adulterers and the thieves, those who rob and steal and destroy, the greedy and the profane. All right, and after that, who's next? All those who worship false gods and idols, the unrighteous and the accursed, those who blaspheme the name of God and profane, profane his word. And yet he looked around and said, but there's still so many left. What should we do next? And the man exclaimed, get rid of them all. Get rid of them all. Now here's the problem. You and I, we rally the cry of justice. But what if we turn the tables? What if we allowed the scales of Lady Liberty to look at us, not through the lens of our Constitution, but through the eyes of our Savior? Is there anyone here who is guilty of sin? Is there anyone here who has done wrong? Yes, and let the cry, where is the justice, be leveled at us. Where would we find ourselves today? For God to remove evil from this world would mean the eradication of all of us. And so there is something else that is needed. There is indeed the cry for justice. We absolutely need justice. But in a world where you and I are are undone by our own rebellion, you are your own worst enemy. God looks down and he says, justice will come. But before the day of judgment, when all will be held to account, I will offer you something else. And it's a beautiful word. Do you know what it is? It's mercy. It's mercy. It's mercy. As we begin uh, this concluding and getting to the end of our gemstone study, uh, we've reached one of the most precious, one of the most vulnerable words in Scripture that every one of us needs to understand and hold dearly to our hearts, which is mercy. What I seek to do in our study this morning is tie together an understanding of justice and mercy because justice in itself is not only retributive. It's not only punitive in that you get what you deserve, uh, but justice from God's perspective is actually restorative. Because there are those who have not committed crime, though they are sinners like all the rest of us, they have lacked justice in this world. As I was looking through the headlines, here were some of the others that came up. A Pennsylvania community is mourning over the death of a 10-year-old girl. Who is discovered as unresponsive at a children's sleepover? There was no murder here. There was only accidental cause. Where's the justice in that case? Uh, Storm dumps a record amount of rain in Oklahoma and causes death in Texas. Where's the justice there? What are you gonna do? Hold the trial for rain? You're gonna put flood on the stand? And how many others experience illness in this world? Who have lived a righteous life and followed after Jesus Christ only to discover that, nope, it looks like you're dealt a difficult hand anyways. How many children are born into this world with handicaps and disabilities that their parents are going to now have to carry? What burden, like Dan helped us to see this morning, has been leveled to you not because of a consequence of a decision, but simply by living in the brokenness of this world, God comes and he says, I need justice to take place. And so my goal this morning is to help to marry these two terms together. Where justice and mercy intermingle, we will find in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where we're going to go. In an effort to get there, I want to start out with some definitions. Number one, justice is getting what we deserve. That's it. You want to get what you deserve? Well, justice gets you what you deserve. Uh, grace is getting what we do not Deserve Not in a negative sense, but it's getting better than you deserve. And so when God offers you the righteousness of Christ, this means you're saved not by works. You're saved by grace because you don't get uh, what you deserve. In fact, you get something that you don't deserve. Mercy is just the reverse of that. Mercy is not getting what you don't deserve. It's not getting what you do deserve. For to eradicate evil from the face of this earth, what would happen to you? You would be gone. I would be gone. If God were to come down and bring judgment now, none of us could stand. And so instead of offering a day of judgment, he offers instead mercy. We're going to be in a, a tiny little book at the back of your Bible, the book of Jude. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to please turn there with me. Uh, Our effort this morning is not to expound upon the whole argument from this apostle, but rather to deal with the subject of mercy from the perspective of Jude. As he cries out to the church as a prophet, looking forward to what the church is going to face, he has a call to you today. This morning, there's a message for you today that you and I would understand what mercy looks like in a biblical sense. Uh, We're going to be in Jude, starting in verse 17. That's page 1910 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Verse 17. If you found it, say amen. amen. Okay, here we go. Jude writes, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. All right, that's our text for this morning. Uh, I'm going to circle back to it, but I want you to understand at least the place where he begins. In fact, if you, uh, I don't know how many pages this is on your Bible, but if you forget, if you flip back to the beginning, uh, you might see in verse 4, the warning given to the church from Jude says these words, certain men whose combination was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. So where's the threat coming? Outside or inside the church? Yeah, Jude is warning the church. The threat is coming from the inside. They have secretly slipped in their godless men. Look what they do. They change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Think about what that means. License for immorality. Does that mean it's okay or it's condemned? Yeah, license for it means they've now made it okay. That which God condemned, they've now said is no problem. Bob, that's not my Bible says, anyways. No problem. They change the grace of God into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. These are the ones that he's speaking about. And so the warning shows up in verse 17. This was foretold by the prophets. This ought not be a surprise, Jude is saying. In the last times, there will be scoffers. Do you know what a scoffer does? Another translation calls them mockers. They kind of chuckle at your quaint old-time religion. Oh, isn't that cute? Well, we, we, we've come up with a better way. That old-fashioned way of doing things isn't the right way anymore. And they scoff at what you and I would believe. They follow ungodly... What's your Bible say? Ungodly what? Desires. Uh, the Apostle Paul has a lot to say about this. He, he'll say, I plead with you, even as I have, I now do with tears. There stand many who are enemies with the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Think about what that means. Last night I was trying to fall asleep and my belly was saying, you need a snack. (laughs) Man, it's hard. It's hard not to obey sometimes our desires. Paul says these words, their glory is in their shame. I feel like I don't have to preach much further that you and I can identify in our world how there are many today who find glory in their shame. Jude is talking about that same issue. He said in the last days, this is what will happen. Scoffers are going to come. They will follow unholy desires. Look at verse 19. These are men who divide you. They split the church. You know, It's, it's this way. It's not that way any longer. They follow mere desires natural instincts. So, so what, whatever your flesh or your mind tells you to do, that they're affirming. That's the direction you should head. And they do that because what does Jude conclude with? They do not have what? They don't have the spirit to listen to. All right, that's the context around this. And in that context in church, listen, that's our context. He has instruction. You ready for the instruction? There's a really amazing thing that shows up here and you might miss it unless I point it out to you. Verse 20. But dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. What member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit? We call that the third person. right? Then he says, keep yourself in God's love. Here's God the Father. What person is he? It's the first person of the Trinity. And then he says, as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. What person is that? second person of the Trinity. Wouldn't you know it? That the triune God shows up right here in the call to the church to be a, a, a bulwark against the pressure of these men who have secretly come in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now we're looking at mercy. And I began by showing you that uh, the, the I- initial cry is, I, I need mercy. That's the initial cry. You and I, you don't get to heaven in a Ford <laughs> you didn 't know what I was going to say that. I didn't know what I was going to say that. You don't, there, 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 there was a song we used to sing as kids, oh, you don't get to heaven, oh, you don't get to heaven in a on roller skates. On roller skates. there you go. You don't get to heaven in a, in a Ford truck. you don't get to heaven. Well, you might actually if it's broken down. You, be careful there. Not trying to no, no haters on Ford here. Look they, F150, you know that's the Packer's truck too, so that's why I'm off topic here. let's get back in. You don't get to heaven apart from the mercy. Did you see it? Look in the text again. Verse 20. As you, uh, 21. Keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. What's the uh, uh, railroad you've got to get on to get to heaven here? It's God's mercy. And so the, the initial cry that you and I have is this. I need mercy. Who was it of the Trinity? Look with me again. Who was it? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit that delivers mercy. What was it? The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why I want to clue you in on this is because the first identifiable mark of mercy is that it identifies and empathizes with the individual. That's what mercy does. Mercy identifies and empathizes with the individual. You will never be able to extend mercy if you are standing over those who are weak and hurting like this, looking right down your nose. Uh-uh. You, mercy will not be available to you. The first stage of being able to extend mercy is identifying with the individual. Walk a mile in their boots and see how, if, if, how better off you would be. And empathize with them. Not sympathize like, oh, it's too bad for you. Sorry you hear that. But let your own heart be broken that you would come right alongside them. Uh, the, the picture that we see in Scripture is that you rejoice with those who rejoice, but you also mourn with those who mourn. One of the battles that I routinely fight as a pastor is when folks are hurting uh, the, the, the male side of the species and he just wants to fix it. right? I just want to give you the answer. But you know what? That's not what people need most of the time. They just need identification. They just need empathy. They just need you to sit with them. And hurt with them. And be with them. Now God is in heaven. God is spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells and leads and guides. But it was Jesus who came and identified with you and I. Look at this passage out of the book of Hebrews. He writes these words. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. That's us. He himself shared in their humanity. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful. There's our word. Mercy. Did you see it? A merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How cool is that? Number one with mercy is that it identifies and it empathizes with the individual. Secondly, from our text, I want you to see that mercy is an expectation of Christian obedience. Mercy is an expectation of Christian obedience. In verse 20, you're given the commands here. Uh, the, The primary command is the word keep in verse 21. But the way in which you keep yourselves is found in verse 20. Look what it says. Build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. How, how are you doing that? I, I, this is a little bit rhetorical, but I want, you to, I want you to look inward on this. Are you doing that? Are you building yourself up in the faith? Now, last time I looked, structures don't erect themselves. It takes a little bit of intentionality to get them off the ground. You know what I'm saying, right? If you're going to build something up, you've got to have a plan. You've got to move and work towards it. Hear me now. Growth in the Christian life doesn't happen by accident. You, you don't get there uh, by tripping over your shoes and finding suddenly, I no longer love the things of this world. I now love Jesus more than everything. That doesn't happen by accident. You need careful study and practical application of his word, a yielding and an indwelling, a sensitivity to the spirit as your guide and your teacher that you would understand truth. Are you doing this? You ought to be doing this because if you want mercy... And all of us are on the mercy train, right? All of us are saying, punch my ticket to get on that train, eternal life. I'll be carried there by mercy through Jesus Christ. Well, it is only assured to those who follow in Christ after obedience. So you've got these commands. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait. Do you see all those verbs? Build, pray, keep, wait. You and I need to learn to pay attention to that such that we would be those who have an expectation of mercy. Now, now God will grant you mercy. And I, might, I don't want to confuse anybody here. I'm not saying, to yeah, work hard. you ought got to work harder. Because really, it ought to flow from love. Any measure of discipline that you practice in your life, it's filthy rags before God, unless it's motivated by what He has first done for you. So if you know God, if you know his mercies, your response is going to be, yeah, I want to do these things. I'm on board with doing these things. How can I do more of these things such that the expectation of mercy is unquestioned in your life? Look at what um, Peter says towards the end of his letter. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I remember when I was a young man, my dad was trying to Uh, play basketball with uh, me and my sister. He always loved to to coach us and kind of instill in us this uh, prowess towards athleticism. And um, I was small and the coolest guy in the basketball court was a three-point shooter. Now, I couldn't quite hork the ball all the way from the three-point line when I was little. So my shot got really bad. I mean, it it was a bad shot. My dad would keep telling me these words, son, tuck your elbow. He wanted me to shoot like this in line. But I couldn't muscle the ball up that far. So I'd have to hork it up like this instead. And he would tell me again. And eventually I got to the point where I was like, I I got this, Dad. I don't need your help with this anymore. (laughs) Who doesn't shoot three-pointers well today? (laughs) Because of that. My sister, on the other hand, she didn't have the same pride problem her older brother had. And she listened and set all kinds of records in every school she played at for three-point shooting. Now I didn't. Why? Because I was proud. Because I was not following in obedience. I'd rather do it my way. Thankfully, that's pretty much the worst of my rebellion in that area. But think about your own life. When God says, I'm here to help you, and this is the way you should go, walk in it. Don't turn to the right or to the left. This is what a child of mine looks like. And the Spirit touches your heart. Are you obeying? Are you listening? Or are you like, no, I got this. Hey, I'm good. I got this. God opposes the proud. He lifts up the humble. Here's another passage that's on the same line. Matthew 5. You heard it, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you want mercy, what's he asking of you? Be merciful. Or this one in Luke. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. All of this teaches us that mercy is an expectation of Christian obedience. I, I have to preach this to you because this is what Jude is saying. He doesn't just lay out the plan here that says, Mercy's going to carry you to heaven. End of story. He doesn't say that. He says, Build yourself up in the holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. And wait. And so we have to ask, Are we doing those things? Because the expectation of mercy will flow from that. Thirdly is this. Mercy is to be delivered in the future. Now you and I, we receive mercy now. But if you're looking with me in verse 21, there's a word you should underline. He says, keep yourself in God's love as you. Yeah, isn't that the worst word? Didn't I preach on that last Sunday? Who's ready to be done with waiting already? My goodness. Let's have it. Or maybe we just change how we understand God's slowness. Like Peter will say, he's not slow. He's patient. And look, you ain't there yet. And God has more planned. And he has more to come to faith. And so his patience is his love extended to you. So learn to wait. And this means mercy is something that we will see, though we don't see it now. Here's a passage from 1 Peter. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable undefiled, and, and fading, kept in heaven for you. Which means it ain't here yet. Which means we get to wait. And if you can recall back to last Sunday. That's where our message of hope. Uh, was finding an application. For who hopes for what they already have. But if you don't have it. You wait for it how? Oh say it now. You wait for it patiently. Not like. I've, I've been here for. Right? That This isn't what it looks like in the Christian life. You were called to Wait. And so once again, mercy is something to be delivered to you in the future. Um, I remember my parents took us to the Grand Canyon when we were kids. And uh, it was the first time I had ever seen a train. Um, I mean, I was just a kid. I, I, I knew about trains, but I never saw one up close. I never saw one just right there and how loud and powerful it was. And I remember my dad said that if you can take a penny and you put it on the track, it'll squish it all the way down. It was the coolest thing ever. And so I thought I'd try that. So I found some pennies, and I put them on the tracks, and I, and I, and I waited. Now, what did the tracks prove? They proved this is where the train comes. It's just not here yet. And this is what mercy is in your life. You you have a component of God's mercy in your life now, but you're not there yet. The Spirit is given to you now to Press upon your spirit that, in fact, guess what? You are God's child. And you can cry out to him, Abba, Father. You can cry out to God because you have the tracks. You have the proof that you will get there eventually. But until that time, you and I, we wait. Lastly is this. Mercy is only needed by those who deserve destruction. This, this is perhaps one of the most important points I can make. Mercy is only needed by those who deserve destruction. Destruction. I just think of the very uh, basic use of the word mercy. Um, when I was young, um, I remember uh, my uncles, <laughs> this, is, this is a pun coming up here. Um, my, my uncles would love to play and roughhouse rough house with me. I had the world's best uncles, just loved hanging out with my uncles, my family. And so they were always so much fun. But one of the things that they would do um, on occasion is, is twist your arm like this behind you and make you say... Yeah, and they I mean, that was kind of a thing, something they did back in the 50s. And somehow that got brought up into modern day era, but it was actually saying, uncle, uncle. And I mean, we roughhouse and have a good fun, but that was really crying out what? What word was that? Mercy. Yeah, because I was in pain. Let me go, right? Because this is not enjoyable. Think about the root word of mercy. Mercy is what people call out when they're in pain. Mercy is what people call out when they're in trouble. And if you and I don't realize the destruction that's coming in front of us, what won't you cry for? You won't ask for mercy if you don't know you need it. Do you know not a single person cries for a Savior if they don't know their sin? If you don't know your sin, what do you need a Savior for? So mercy is only needed by those who deserve destruction. Let, let's say you're not feeling so good. And, and someone says to you, hey, you should go to the doctor. And you say, eh, I'm fine. I don't need to see no doctor. I remember my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer, and um, I remember hearing that they they discovered even after he passed that it would have been operable, but he didn't want to go to the doctor. And you and you know folks like this. Maybe that's how you are. Some of you wives elbowing your husbands right now. See this? Listen is the pastor. Go to the doctor. Why don't we want to go to the doctor? Because what might you find? There's a problem. Guess what? You are not going to be able to address the problem if you never understand that there's something there. That's all a doctor does, is reveal what's there, anyways. Every human being on earth is attempting to find their way to God, all the while being diagnosed or undiagnosed with a terminal disease called sin. Every human being on earth. And unless you come before the clear mirror of God's word to reveal your forthcoming well-deserved destruction, what will you never look for? You'll never cry for mercy. And so for you and I to be people who who cry out to God, you and I have to first be a people who understand that we have sin that deserves destruction. Uh, If you look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul writes, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Where did that show up in Jude? Remember? We we read it. It was at the beginning. It wasn't outside the church. These were people in the church who left that old time faith. We've changed it now. And instead of following after the Spirit's leading, we are going to follow our own desires. Paul says, yeah, earlier, you used to be like that. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... This is the best butt in the Bible. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It's by grace that you and I have been saved. Uh, ignorance to sin is deadly. You hear me on that? Ignorance to sin is deadly. And if you and I don't recognize our destruction, you and I will never cry out for mercy. So there, there it is. That's your cry for mercy. Now, here's an important point, because we're going to talk then about what he says in verse 22. You see the word be? What's it followed by? Be merciful. merciful. Now, those who have received mercy are called to do what? Deliver it. As we look at this, I actually want to ask you to hold your spot in Jude and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Put a finger here in Jude, flip back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 18. comes a point where the disciples come to Jesus, Peter says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my, my brother when he sins against me? And Peter, thinking he's being magnanimous, says, seven? I mean, that's how good I am. I'll forgive him seven times, and then seven strikes, and you're out. That's what, that's what Peter thinks. I'm in Matthew 18, verse 22. Matthew 18:22. 18, Page fifteen twenty six in the Pew Bibles. Matthew 18, verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. Uh, In this day, that would have been over a million bucks. That's how much he owed. What kind of trouble do you have to get into to borrow over a million bucks you can't return back? I mean, uh, that's buying a whole new farm equipment and then the river comes and takes the whole farm away or something like that. This man is in debt up to his armpits. He was brought before him, verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. What's that called? It starts with a J. It's called justice is what that's called. Like We're, we're going we're gonna to fix this right here. Uh, Jesus will say earlier in his gospel, you've, uh, you've heard people say an eye for a, and a tooth for a tooth, right? But he says that's not how you're supposed to follow. Uh, follow me in this world. And if someone slaps you on one cheek, you don't punch them back. You turn the other cheek. This bizarre way of handling that which comes our way. And Jesus overturns this again in this same instance. He's giving justice, verse 26. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. If you were to put that in a word, what word is that? He's crying out for mercy because he knows what he owes. He knows the distance of his debt. So he cries out for mercy. He begged. He'll pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. That's the word compassion. And he canceled the debt and he let him go. Now, has this man received mercy? Yes or no? Alright, do you know the rest of the story? You know it, right? Let me rush through it. Here we go, it's verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. hundred denarii is like uh, uh, p- 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 a couple hundred bucks. You give me a couple weeks, we'll get that paid back, no problem. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him. Look at the same words. Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could repay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant, said, You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had, what's the Bible say? Mercy, mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? So here it is. We, we looked at the fact that we need mercy, All right, and, and every one of us has the ticket punched on that train, right? We're ready to ride the mercy train. Now the command is given to you. If you need it, and you've received it from God, the guarantee is coming as sure as the train is coming someday, now you have the opportunity to give it. And he outlines three people. First, he says to the doubters, verse 22. I'm back in Jude now. Flip back to Jude, verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. Commentators love to argue over this and... Uh, the best understanding of this concept of doubt actually is not a doubt in Christ. It's not that they're like I don't know if Jesus, I don't know if Jesus is my savior. That's not what they're doubting. These are people in the church who believe Jesus is their savior, but you remember there were other people who were trying to trick them. Remember that? That's the context. There were other people who were coming trying to lead them astray. And so the doubt here in Jude's mind is that they doubt they have what it takes to stand against it. That's what they doubt. I I don't don't want to cause trouble. I I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand and, and, and take a stand for truth. I think I might struggle with this. And they're doubting they have that ability. Honestly, what it means in this culture is oftentimes persecution. We don't really have that today, but how would you do? It might be coming, folks. That's all I can tell you. In our world today, the further the world moves from Jesus Christ, the more the reality of persecution is going to come knocking on your door. How are you going to stand? Guess what? You might be somebody who doubts you have what it takes. What does Jude say? Treat those people with mercy. Jesus Christ has paid the debt for them. And so in this instance, it's justice diverted. It's justice diverted. You're not bringing justice to those who think they might stand because justice will be given to those who have rebelled. It doesn't come to those who doubt, that are weak. And uh, a better translation here, it might be waver. You might write that in the margin of your Bible. Be merciful upon those who waver in their faith. They're weak in their faith. What does evolution teach us? Only the strong. Yeah. I do not how it works with God. You and I need to learn to wait for those who are weak. We need to be merciful to those who struggle, to those who are weak. And so justice doesn't come to them. Justice is diverted. Secondly, to those who are the endangered. Look at verse 23. Jude says this verb. Snatch others from the fire and save them. Snatch them and save them. The idea here are those who've been coming to church. Come on, you know folks that came to church, right? Maybe they grew up in the church. Uh, where, are they at? where are they at today? Where are they? They did this. Right? They, they, they were following they were headed the right way, but much like the soil illustration Jesus gives, uh, you know what, their faith kind of burnt out, and instead of continuing after the mercy that's been offered, they've turned away. Sometimes it's people who grew up in the church, parents who raised their kids, but then the kids get into high school, and you know what, they're going to do what they're going to do, and I can't force them to. And I remember I worked with... I worked with teenagers for five years in a school. I saw 18-year-old boys getting whipped by their mama. I wanted to say to their mom, you're about 10 years too late on that. You need to snatch them when you can. Snatch them from the fire. The picture here that Jude has in mind is likely Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember Lot and his family being taken from Sodom and Gomorrah? Right? What was the deal with Sodom and Gomorrah? They were following after what? The spirit or their natural desire? Right? That's what was going on. God warned them. Sent angels to warn them. Didn't want to listen. And so, what happened? I'm going to take those who are righteous out. And they were called out, except Lot's wife did something that she shouldn't do. She turned back. Judas saying, "The mercy that you extend to those people, is you snatch them. You go get them, and you snatch them and carry them back." Jesus says, "No one is fit for the kingdom of God who puts his hand to the plow." and then does this. Who ah, looks back? That's not what the kingdom of heaven looks like. And for you and I to come to faith in Christ is not one foot in, one foot out. It's all in. I ain't looking back. Amen. We good on that one? All right. Amen. So in this case, it's justice deferred. So justice doesn't come to them. Because you've snatched them. How awesome would that be? The Bible says, "Turn a sinner From their ways. Turn a sinner from their ways. What's that key verb? Turn. That's what the word repent means. It means to turn. Alright, last section here. are To the depraved. And to the depraved, it's only justice delayed. That's all it is. The end of verse 23, he says, To others show mercy mixed with fear. Hating even the clothing that's been stained by corrupted flesh. So these are the people who have turned away. And you know what? Honestly, I want nothing to do with God. I don't. The Bible doesn't say give them justice. God will give them justice. He says give them mercy. But in this case, you give them mercy mixed with fear. Do you know what you're doing? If you're offering people, if you're letting them off the hook, if you're just giving them mercy with no fear, do you know what that's called? It's called enablement, is what that's called. There's no consequence. You're fine. I don't see God showing up here anywhere. You just keep doing what you're doing. You ain't hurting nobody. That's mercy without fear. It's called enablement. Do you know what fear without mercy is called? It's called tyranny. You're not called to give either of those. Instead, listen to what Jude says. Offer them mercy with fear. They need to understand that if they continue to rebel against God, justice is coming. It might not show up today, but it's only delayed. It's on its way. It's going to get there eventually. And this is the warning that we are called to give people. God hates most of all the pride in our hearts. You might think back to the story of the two people on the corner praying. You had a, you had a politician. You had this, this religious zealot, right? He stands and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these sinners. You are lucky to have me, God. Good job choosing me to be on your team. But then there's a tax collector. And he says the tax collector doesn't even raise his head to heaven. Instead, he bows and he beats his chest and he says these words, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Does he know what he deserves? Yes or no? Absolutely he does. Is he prideful or is he humble? Humble. He's humble before God. Here's a warning comes out of the book of Hebrews chapter 10. The writer says this, If we deliberately keep on sinning, uh, this doesn't mean you don't struggle with sin you call it sin, and God says, all right, that's what I call it. Flee from it. But call it what I call it. That's not what these guys are doing. They're not calling it sin. They're calling it okay. That's fine. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only fearful expectation of what? Justice. You will get what you deserve. Judgment will come. And a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And so justice is only delayed. But here you go. Everybody falls into one of these categories. Look, either you're the one giving mercy or maybe you don't know if you're going to be able to stand. Be merciful to those. Or maybe you're somebody who, well, I've gone to church, but I don't know if I should have come this Sunday. Uh, But I'm back here now. Hey, you snatch them before they get out this door. Right? You snatch them, those who have turned their back, and you bring them back. You will save them from fire. But then those who are just walking away and want nothing to do with it, you still give them mercy. For justice is not yours to dispel. The Lord said, I will repay. Vengeance is mine. God will set all the records right according to his will. Until that time, you give them mercy mixed with what? Remember? Fear. You give them the fear of God in their hearts that they would know. All right, let me wrap this up. Here's our conclusion and application. Number one, you need to act justly. You need to act justly. The false teachers still need to be rejected. Those up in verse 17 and 18. The scoffers. Mercy doesn't do this. Mercy doesn't say, oh, alright, you guys are right. I give up. We'll do it your way. That's not what mercy does. Mercy holds to the truth. It acts with justice. It doesn't twist or pervert the truth. In fact, if you look back in verse 23, what did it say to those who you mix mercy with fear? Do you remember what it said? Hating what? Hating even the clothing they wear. There's a stand for justice. So you and I, we need to learn to act with justice, but there's two kinds of justice. Number one is justice of retribution. I know I'm running a little late here, but I want you to turn to Luke chapter 13. Please flip back in your Bibles to Luke 13. I want you to hear the words of our Savior as he encounters those who need to hear a message of warning. This is how you act justly. Luke 13 verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're still looking, say, Lord, help me. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Luke 13. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with the sacrifices. So they were killed. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you too repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam when it fell on them. Do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. He told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. and He went to look for fruit on it, but didn't find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit in this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. What's that called? Justice. I've been waiting I've been patient. There ain't nothing there. And judgment day has arrived. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Verse 8. Sir, the man said, leave it alone for one more year. Oh, how gracious is our God. Give him one more chance. What's that called? That's called mercy. One more year. I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. This is God's goodness. If it bears fruit the next year, fine. But if not, that's... There it is. So mercy mixed with fear, right? Justice is coming. It's only delayed. You and I need to learn to act justly. So this is called justice of retribution. You will get judgment one day. But here's the second one. Justice is also restorative to the weak. You're to give mercy to the weak, those who waver, those who doubt. What do you do to the family who has a child born with a handicap? What do you do with the one who loses a limb to disease? What do you do to the one who's been diagnosed with a life-altering illness? Where is their justice? Look at this verse out of Psalm 1. 46, the Lord executes justice for the oppressed. Now, if we just stop there without explaining this, you might think they get what they deserve, deserve, but that's not what he's saying. Check out what he says here. To the oppressed who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The difference here between these and these are those who know what sin is. It's the wicked who say, I need no help. I, I need no help here. My way is just fine. God will thwart their way. But for every one of these who are in need, justice is not retributive. Justice is restorative. And so the call that I'm giving you this morning is to act justly. Number two is this. Love Mercy. You need to love mercy. James chapter 2 says these words, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law that gives freedom is the law of rewards. So if you want rewards in heaven, what should you do today? Help the weak. That's what you should do. Show mercy. That's the law that will give freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. So unless you show mercy... All you have to look forward to is judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And so my call to you this morning is to love mercy. Do you know how to do that? I already, I already told you, but I, I got to take a point just to press it again. Mercy identifies and empathizes with the individual. Look, I know I'm getting preachy here. You, you all understand it's easy to look down your nose at folks. It's easy to, Right? It's easy to find somebody who's worse off than you and think they should try harder. Get off your bum, right? Come on, get a job. That's not mercy. And that's not the way God treats you. You and I need to learn to become the kind of people who love and help the weak by identifying with them, by walking a mile in their shoes, by empathizing with them. All right, thirdly is this. Walk humbly. There's a verse that's written in the the prophet Micah. I wrote it down in your sermon notes. Here it is. He who has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? Here it is. To do justice, to love kindness or mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so there it is. I want to make sure that you don't leave church this morning and say, What was the pastor talking about? It went on for like 50 minutes. What was he talking about? What do I do? (laughs) I don't want you to miss it. This is what the text says to do. Act with justice. Hold to truth. Do not corrupt truth because you're pressured to. Hold to it. Secondly, love mercy. Be willing to give it because you have first been given it. And lastly, walk humbly. The last thing I have to say as I conclude is that there is a place where mercy and justice are intermingled. And it's right here. You see, on the cross, God did enter into our world. It was at the cross, the cry from people who said, it's not fair, right? Just like little kids, it's fair, God. The only time it has not been fair was right here. For every time you and I receive punishment in this world, guess what? We deserve it. There was one man who did it. And so God found a way to offer before the day of judgment, mercy by placing judgment on his own son. And it was a judgment that the two things, it was a retributive judgment, in that the punishment for our sins was placed upon his back. It was a satisfactory payment. The word here is atonement. It covered. It was sufficient for your sins. But it was more than retributive. It was also restorative. Because in the cross, Jesus has taken our death such that his resurrection offers you a new life. You don't have to live the way you once did. You can now live the life Jesus offers to you. To restore you to what it means to be a full human. To live in harmony with your creator. That's justice intertwined with mercy. Did you hear the choir? Mercy there was great. And grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Mercy there was great, and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Let's pray.